As humans, we're hardwired to connect with each other. So, how can we balance convenient tech communication with face-to-face interaction? And why is it so important that we do? I'm Hamish Coots, and you're listening to Talent Talks, brought to you by Seek. Dr. Fiona Kerr is CEO and founder of the Neurotech Institute and is widely known as a speaker and researcher on the neuroscience of human interaction. We spoke to Fiona at the ARA convention in Brisbane to learn about using technology well at work and the remarkable ways our brains react when we communicate in person. Let's talk about the work you've done with organisations and continue to do with organisations. And there's a great quote from your website, helping workplaces to lead in the dance with technology. When we think about these connections, interactions, the workplace, how should organisations actually now be thinking about getting the balance right between in-person and also technology interactions? I'm fascinated on that. Yep. Okay. Because there is fascinating tech. So this Mm. is never about not technologising. I had done a talk on how we're shaped by technology and how we need to shape technology. And what we did was we went through, so Jodie Walken from Harrison Macmillan came and said, look, fascinating, we want to, this is what we want to try, this is what we've thought about. So over the 12 months, what they did was they cut out all sorts of things. So first, um, we did the keynote kind of in-house, so everyone had this vision and view about the wonderfulness of, of humans and the really good use of tech. Yeah. You know, what, where does it get in the way and therefore how do you use it really well? So they did things like um, you couldn't email each other in the office anymore, you had to talk. And then they decided that you couldn't, the next thing we chose uh, was you couldn't email after six o'clock at home because one of the major things that's happening now is it's the adult that's, that's addicted. So the kids are actually looking at the adults and the adults aren't responding back to the children. So we decided not to do that at night. And then the next thing was social media because we underestimate that by at least four to one. You know, people say they're on it an hour, they're on it four yeah, hours okay, or more. Yeah, right. Because we just lose that, that count. Um, what we started to do, you can't say to people you're not allowed to be on it because we all know the internal locus of control, you cannot do that to Probably humans. Prohibition never works, we know That's that. Right. Yep. So instead, what you do is give them really good information. So we had a method by which they could tell how often they were on it. Mm. And that was really useful information for them. And then what we did was, what you have to do is decide on what's the shallow work and what's the deep work. Okay. And that's a very good conversation to have with your boss or to have with the people that work for you. Mm. Because there are some times that you can do the, you can be doing the emailing, you can be doing all those sorts of things, especially in the early afternoon because we're actually biphasic. We're built for a nap in the afternoon. Okay. So we're not good at deep work. So with my job, if I've got a job that needs to be done that takes a lot of concentration, then what I need to do is disconnect from the tech because even if I hear a ding of an email coming in or a message, I don't even have to look at it. What happens with your brain, because we can't multitask, is your brain unpacks all the knowledge you've got about something. So you think about it, putting, putting it all out on this table. And then I hear this ding and it packs it all up and it takes out another piece of, of sort of judgment data saying, should I even look at that? And then if it's no, I still have to pack that away and unpack unpack. all of that information again because that's what we're doing all the time. So your cognitive load goes up every time the ding is even heard. So when you do deep work, you have to have an agreement about how you disconnect. So what we had to do was make that useful for the client because they expected, it was an HR online company, they kind of expected to be there Mm. all the time. But once you find the value proposition for a client, which was... Don't you want really good 
people to be you know given to you yep. well yes actually we do and so we always had a way that they could connect to the company but they also knew that people were going to be doing really good work getting them the best they could and they were happy and in fact we did various other things there was music there was um, lights to indicate that you were deeper conversation there was a number of things that yeah. we went over the and every time it was quantified and at the end of the year i think productivity went up by 15 percent and clients there were more clients than at the beginning of the year and some of them were things like um a, a client who said you've just got the job because you're the first hr company we've actually seen face to face in three years like Wow. That, so that says a lot yeah. about the switch in how people think that you can make relationships. You have to be face to face with someone to get the trust to yeah. make that relationship. So you measured productivity. Mm -hmm. uh, then did you also, is it able to measure uh, the happiness of the people? Did you get a, a score around that? Yes. Yeah. So what was interesting was um, there was a couple of people at the beginning, especially when it came to the social media kind of stuff, yeah. that uh, that were the you know the Gen Z that found that really difficult. But what we found, what the company found, was that people that wanted to work in a more connected way and wanted to have the time to do good, deep quality work, they started coming. Sure. So what you got was people that valued a highly connected culture and the cap capability to do the best work they could yeah. and not to be bothered at night. And I think we all know, because there's loads of information around the fact that you can be very much more efficient. You know, if you're yeah. on if you're on all the time, you're not nearly as effective in what yeah. you actually do. Like what you hear? Tune into more Talent Talks by hitting the subscribe or follow button in your favourite podcast app. Just search Seek Talent Talks. What about when it comes to leadership? What role does that play? And also that human-to-human -human contact for leadership. Um, why is that now so important? That's really critical. So there's beautiful work now because we can scan brains mm. that we can watch um, charismatic or adaptive leaders, the ones you you know walk through fire for. Yeah. Do they have different brains? Yes, they do. So when you ask them questions, if, if you've got one of those leaders and you ask them questions around success, around future, it's all about we and it's all about um, connection and it's all about making a really good group of people that are highly capable and skilled and empowered, that sort of thing. If you are, and, and the socio-emotional parts of their brain light up like a Christmas tree. They light up really strongly. Okay. They've also got frontal lobes, so they're thinking about how you would do that. But the really strong um, activity is in all of the things around collaboration, creativity, connection. And then you put someone in there who is very much more a hierarchical yep. leader. Those parts of the brain, firstly, they don't really like answering the questions, um, but they answer with I. And it's around, I'm going to make more money. I'm going to increase the size of the company. And what you get is much more in the way of executive lobe and task, and much less in the areas of connection and socio-emotional activity. Okay. Um, and, and also learning and memory. So it's really interesting how it changes. Can you improve it? Can you make it better? Yes, you can. So the brain's plastic, remember? Always you can make, you can change it. We are pruning about a neuron a second. We prune and, and rewire and build new brain all the time. So you can shape the brain you want. So whether I'm talking to surgeons who are going to, you mean I have to talk to my patients? Um, or, or bosses that find that really quite difficult. The more you do it, the better you get. And you might never be a really kind of, you know, highly connecting kind of guy, but you are still gonna be much more comfortable 
in interacting with people. And if you're honest when you interact, we've got this, again, the fabulous brain for being able to figure out whether the person honestly wants to talk to us or not. And if you are a bit uncomfortable but you want to connect with me, my brain will totally pick that up. If I have a boss who is um, engaging me on a lot of those levels, what, what, what happens in my brain? How do I react to that versus somebody who's quite hierarchical? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, completely changes. Yeah. There's a really interesting piece of work by Boyatzis probably two years ago now. What he did was look at what resides in our brain even 15 years after having a good or a bad leader. And the ones that have had good leaders have permanent changes in their brain that light up whenever you get them to think about their leaders okay. and it's all about collaboration and you know working together and creativity so you've got all these people really excited and and sort of believing that okay we'll be in this together might be difficult might be a change process but you'll keep me safe you won't stop me having to change but you'll keep me safe so what happens is your parasympathetic nervous system starts to fire and then your immune system starts to fire and then you get this BDNF chemical and you start building this new neural network about what's possible. Okay. And so that kind of alignment right across people in the organisation is massively powerful. Yeah, to the opposite effect if you have a hierarchical leader. Yeah, forget what? it. Forget it, and yeah. So it, it shuts down all of those, that doesn't happen at all. Yep. What you get instead is I'm not sure about this. I don't know if I believe it. So up goes your cortisol, up goes your adrenaline. And the interesting thing about cortisol, that's what happens if, say, you hate going on stage and you have to speak Mm -hmm. and you suddenly can't remember a word. It's because cortisol acts like a blanket between the real working memory and your long-term memory. So you might be an expert in something, but if you're really scared, the chemical mix in your brain stops you being able to bring that information up into real working memory and talk about it. So that's how powerful it is. And it certainly stops you mapping anything new. Yeah. Because there's no chemical capacity to do that because you haven't created those chemicals. Yeah. But there are a lot of people listening to this will be, you know, emerging leaders, perhaps leaders who've been in, uh, in the role for a while and perhaps that point of self-evaluation is, is coming to them. What can they do? What, what tips would you give to them if, if, they, if they really do feel that they want to change the way that they are for the impact of their team and their business? One of the interesting things is leaders go through a natural progress progression. So when you're first a leader, you're, it's all about me. It's all about me trying to prove to you that I should be given this position. And everything is about proving that. And the chemical mix is very much around protecting myself. If instead you tend, you try and relax, and you do over time, um, hopefully, unless you're really bad, um, then what you start doing is changing that mix, and it starts to become about us, which is the team thing. And, and you do that by just concentrating on bringing people in, on listening, so being quiet, and on acting on information other people give you, on asking for disconfirming information. You know, have I missed anything? You'll see an organisation in ways I can't see it. It'd be fantastic for us all to be putting this information in. We'll get a much better view. So that kind of thing. So not to be threatened by alternate information, but to find it really useful. With the proviso that you have values that are very strong around respect and empathy. So empathic, respectful leaders create really creative, honest people underneath them. There's a process that's been studied whereby if you're a a top leader and you are fair and reasonable, the people under you will have a very large number of cross-connections in that group, which means they'll work together really well. 
if you have a leader that you consider is unfair or plays favourites or that sort of thing, so they're disingenuous, mm -hmm. what happens straight away is that the group underneath stops collaborating. And then that cascades right through the organisation. So it's a really fascinating thing. So don't so high values, safety, but then honesty. You know, that candid feedback, kindness, wanting to get them all to, to work better, including you, because when you change other people's brains, your brain changes as well. And in fact, we always do. It's not a case of shall I change someone else's brain? You do. So your choice is do you want to change it for the better? Or do you want to change it for the worse? What do you want to leave in someone's brain? That was Fiona Kerr, CEO and founder of the Neurotech Institute. For more Talent Talks episodes, subscribe or follow Seek Talent Talks in your favourite podcast app.